0: All right, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, how amazing is that? Songs that we sing about uh, the love and grace of our Savior Jesus Christ are, are absolutely amazing. Thank you for the great worship this morning. I appreciate our music and those who lead our music on Sunday morning. They do a fantastic job and they put a lot of effort and energy into that, and we're thankful. For the gift of music that God gives to us as Christians and as believers. So uh, thank you guys for leading us this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4. And in our journey through the book of Revelation, we see that John's at a place where he's seeing some things in the present time. And he's looking and observing and he's writing those things down as God had instructed him to do. And the scene that he's taking in today or that he's looking at is in really the throne room of God, because it, uh, he's worshiping or seeing the worship of the Lamb that takes place in heaven. Uh, John saw this some 2,000 years ago, and uh, I really believe with all of my heart that nothing's really changed in that scene of worship, that as we sit here this morning worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, that heaven in all of its glory is continuing to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and that worship is holy and Loving and consistent in its nature. And so this morning, we want to take a glimpse, as John did, into what it is to worship the Lamb. And what that may look like and what we may be a part of someday, along with those who are there with Him now. And so if you follow along with me, we think about, in chapter 4, we see inside the throne room. So when we think about the worship of the Lamb, it's what's happening in the very presence of God today. Chapter 5, later on, we're going to look at the idea of, you see, if we're looking in the throne room, then we're seeing the surroundings where God's being worshipped. But in chapter 5, we'll see the worship of the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who's being worshipped. Not just where He's being worshipped, but who's being worshipped there as well. And so as we look at chapter 4, though, let's focus on that throne room or the throne of God where we see God seated and all the activity around Him in in, in the worship of Him. Follow along with me if you would, and let's just read chapter 4. And Scripture says this, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which, you must, which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne sat in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he, was, and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. "...around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they were, had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne proceeded lightning and thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God." Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf. And the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fell down before Him, who sits on the throne and worship Him, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your your will they exist and were created. Bow with me if you would and let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today for the great understanding that we gained through this book about worshiping you. Father, as we uh, not only are created by you, but we're saved by your blood redeemed and given a new life and a new beginning in Christ Jesus, that we have great cause to worship and to praise you. So, Father, I just pray this morning as we think about these things that you'll help us to realize how important it is to focus on you with our lives that we might become truly a living sacrifice for you. Now, Father, I just pray that you open our minds and our hearts this morning to what it means to lovingly and worshipfully give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, as you begin to look with me about this scene that John sees in heaven, as he looks at Jesus Christ being worshiped, some of the things that he associates with this throne of grace and this throne room and one of those things that we really uh, understand i think through what John sees is the fact that the source of uh, of that this throne room is the source of ultimate grace in other words all about this throne and this worship is the idea and really the testimony of God's grace in our lives you know we love and we serve a, a true Grace, God of grace. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might f- obtain mercy and, and find grace uh, in our time of need. So uh, the Bible identifies the very throne that God sits on as the throne of grace because He is the God of grace. And as He's seated on that throne, it becomes the very source or fountain of the grace of God in our lives today. Now, why do we need grace? Uh, You know, somebody defined grace one time as God's unmerited favor or it's getting something that we don't deserve or or, or someone did the word grace, G-R-A-C-E in an acrostic and it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's His grace, isn't it? That's how He responds to us. We believe in God. We approach Him in faith and He responds to us in grace. And so... When John saw the Lord Jesus Christ seated on the throne, he saw uh, an experience or a picture of the grace of God. And so, what are some of the things about that? Look look at what John discovered. First of all, the very first thing that John saw when he looked into the throne room is that he, the Bible says that he saw an open door. Scripture says, And behold, a door standing open. Uh, you, you see the idea of an open door is access. That we have access to the throne of grace. Look, we ought to be amazingly thankful and worshipful toward God because Jesus Christ has given us access to the throne of grace. Uh, That apart from Him and His work on our behalf, His death on the cross, you and I couldn't access the grace of God. There wouldn't be a way that we could do that. And so when John saw this vision of worship in heaven, he saw access to that. You know, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if God showed us how wonderful it is in heaven and never gave us any access to it? But God's not like that, that He makes a way for us. And so John, when he saw in verse 1, he saw this very thing. He said, in these things I look, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And so John saw this access. You know, in the Scripture, Jesus made a way for us, didn't He? The Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. Jesus says, listen, the way that we're saved is through him. That he gives us access to God and a relationship with him. Apart from his coming to this earth, dying on a cross, shedding his blood for us, we would not have access. Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's access, isn't it? And our access is through Jesus Christ. So when John saw, the very first thing that he saw was that, hey, we have access to this throne of grace. You know, because we have access to this throne of grace, we also have access to worshiping Him because of His grace. You see, Jesus made that way for us. But let me tell you, no matter what we face in our lives any given day, Jesus always makes a way for us. He always helps us through whatever things that we face in life because we have access to that throne of grace. You know, all of us from time to time, maybe more often than we want to, find ourselves facing some hard struggles and tests and trials in our life. But there's never a time that God isn't with us the Bible says He'll never leave us or forsake us. There's never a time that Jesus isn't working on our behalf to make a way for us to go through those difficult and hard times. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, For through Him we have access by one Spirit to the Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Isaiah writes. What God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. In Israel's times and in Israel's struggles. God says this to the nation. He says, Thus saith the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waves. No matter how difficult our struggles are. No matter how large they seem to be. No matter how heavy they are. Scripture promises us that God makes a way for us through those storms and through those troubled times, we have access to this wonderful throne of grace. You know, something else that we have, not only do we have access, but as you look a little bit further into the passage in verse 1, uh, there, there was an announcement from the throne room. There's access to the throne room, but, but John hears this announcement from the throne room. And, and this announcement goes like this. Uh, it, it says, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So now all of a sudden John hears this announcement. He, he sees the access to the throne room, but he hears this announcement. And this announcement is an invitation. And God says to John, he says, come up here and join me. Uh, Come come up here and and, and let me show you some things that you need to understand. And so Jesus is calling him closer to show him things that he hadn't seen yet. I want to say to you this morning, I believe that God is still doing that in, in, in a believer's life. That God is constantly calling us to join him. He's calling us to join him in service. In working in his kingdom, in serving him in his kingdom, that God is always busy about the work of redemption, that he's always active in making himself known to people. And what he wants to do is to use you and I, those who have already been impacted by his grace, those of you and I who have always, uh, have already experienced that salvation, that he wants us to join him in what he's doing. And so I think God is constantly giving you and I an invitation. Come on and join me. You know, you know, Come on, let's go out and talk to somebody. Uh, let, let's, let's go out and, and share the, the love that you have for me with someone. And so there's this, this constant invitation of, of joining him. Now, this invitation that he gave to John, he says, Come up here and get close to me and let me show you some things that you need to see. I don't think that we can see the things that God wants us to see and that we really need to see until we're close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Until we've drawn up close to Him. Maybe God looks at us and He sees that we're really nearsighted and we, we need to be up close to Him to be able to see the things that we need to see. But He draws us close. How can we get to know anyone in any kind of significant way unless we get close to them? And so what Jesus is giving John is an invitation to come up here. Let me show you some stuff. Let me reveal some things to you that you need to understand. You see, you and I, the Bible says, draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to us. And so as we begin to draw near to God, and as we begin to get close to Him, we find out, listen, that God begins to show us some things. If we're distant from Him, if we're indifferent toward Him, if we're in rebellion against Him, why should we ever expect that God should show us anything? Why should He reveal Himself to a rebellious child? And so it's only until we make that choice and that decision to hear Him and to draw up close to Him that He'll begin to show us and reveal things to us. And so that voice, the Bible says, was like a trumpet. You know, in Scripture, the trumpet was sounded for a couple of different reasons. One of those was certainly for worship and it was for assembly. Or it was for the assembly to worship. Yeah, I think it would be great on Sunday mornings if we had somebody stand out front. Maybe Venus will do that for us. And he'll he'll blow a trumpet. And and everybody will know in the community that it has time to come. Churches, you used to use bells for that. We don't do that so much anymore. But it was a call to assemble and a call to worship. And so John was getting this call from this voice. And it was saying, come up here. I, I want you to see something. And as you begin to see that, you're going to see this Amazing worship, and you're going to understand these amazing truths. Now listen, uh, I know as a pastor, I don't have as much opportunity as you guys do to sit and hear a message preached. I don't go home and listen to myself preach, I don't like to do that. (laughs) But I do listen to other guys preach, and I listen to things on the radio in different places. And I I love to hear the message of God proclaimed. Because as I I do that, then in a sense, it's a, a worship time for me. And in that worship time, what I'm understanding is I'm drawing close to God. And as I grow close to Him in worship, that He begins to show me things that I need to understand. And so, John hears this announcement. He says, listen, come up here close, and I'll show you some things you need to understand. I remember in John's Gospel in chapter 1, that John the Baptist was there and some of his disciples came by one day and and Jesus was over by the wayside and John looked over toward Jesus and he told his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so one of those disciples was unnamed. The other one was Andrew. And Andrew goes over and he begins to question Jesus. And he says, Where do you live? And Jesus says, Come and see. And Andrew and that disciple went and they began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And He began to show them and reveal things to them. It's only until we have a heart and a desire to draw close to Him that He'll really begin to show us things that we need to understand. So in this throne room, there was an announcement. And the announcement was, come up here. God invites us to worship Him. He he wants us to worship Him. And so the invitation is always there for the child of God, come worship me. Well, not only did John see access to the throne room and... Not only did he hear an announcement to the throne room, but once he got into the throne room, he found that there's assistance in the throne room when it comes to worship. Now that assistance that he found, after you look at verse 2, he says, immediately I was in the Spirit. So all of a sudden when John answered Jesus' invitation and he came through the access that, that God had provided for him, all of a sudden the Spirit began to help John to worship and understand. Listen, we, sometimes we'll approach the Word of God and we read it and we study it and we wonder, you know, what, what are you trying to say to me, Lord? And it's only until the Spirit of God begins to take the Word of God and show us the things that God has to say to us that we understand. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is your teacher and He's your guide and He'll lead you into all truth. And so when John came up and when he answered that invitation, the Spirit of God began to assist him in that worship. Uh, listen, no true believer or no true worship takes place without the enabling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can come every Sunday morning and we're not going to worship until we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, uh, until we're submissive to His will, uh, until we're ready to, for God to speak to us through His Holy Spirit. He enables us to worship, He's our helper in all those things. You know, the Bible said Jesus was speaking to a lady one day by a well and He said this to her about worship. He said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. See, Jesus revealed the, the need that you and I have for the Holy Spirit to help us in our worship of God. We can't do it alone. We can't truly honor Him without the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. The flesh can't worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through His Spirit we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we may be able to try to imitate true worship in the flesh. But it really never happens until the Spirit has control. And so there's assistance in the throne room. That John finds through that grace. But let me give you one last thing this morning is that John also found out that he made an assessment of the throne room. When he came up into the throne room, he began to look around, right? Wouldn't you be curious about that? I mean, you access the throne room and because you've gotten this invitation to, to come and to see, and you come and you begin to see and the Holy Spirit begins to, to minister to you and help you worship and, and, and next thing you know, John's looking around, he's seeing all these kind of things and trying to process all this vision that he's seeing from God in heaven as he's being worshiped and, and he begins to look around. Whoa, what does he see? Well, listen to what he sees. He, he sees some pretty wonderful things. In verse 3, he sees a rainbow. He says, and I, I, I saw, uh, and he sat on the throne like a jasper and sardis stone in appearances. Really, jasper and sardis is a reference to Jesus' purity and his sacrifice. So he sees someone who's pure and a pure sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, he sees this rainbow. He says, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So, so John's seeing Jesus seated on the throne and, and this rainbow encircling him. You see the rainbow. You know, when we look at a rainbow from Earth's perspective, you know what we see? We see this big arc, don't we? Yeah, and I know you guys, you're looking for the end. No, uh, we see this big arc. But, but, but you, you might not realize, but when you see a rainbow, when you're 40,000 feet in the air and you're, you're seeing a rainbow and you're looking down on it, it's really a circle. And, and it's not an ark, but it's a circle. And, and it has no end. And, and what John saw around the throne of God was this rainbow, this circle, this complete circle. Now we know what the rainbow is in Scripture, right? It's a promise of God. That God made... With Noah, with mankind, after the flood, he said, I'm not going to destroy this earth by a flood anymore, and I'm going to give you a sign that it was a rainbow. And so what John is saying, he's saying that God is perfect in keeping His promises. That, that, he, that, that there's no end to God keeping His promises. And so he's looking at this throne room of someone who's being worshipped, and he's seeing someone who's faithful. And, and someone who's honest. And someone who keeps His Word. And, and so, God's being worshipped. So John gets all Hey, he looks around. You know, rainbow wasn't the only thing that he saw. But really, that's our God. And he? He's faithful. He keeps His Word. He makes His promise. And He keeps His promise. But Not only did John see that, but, but he went on and he, and he saw 24 thrones. And on those 24 thrones, there were 24 elders seated. But those 24 thrones, that you saw were, the Bible says they were witnesses. Uh, he, he says, and, and around the throne were 24 thrones. And, and, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. So they were witnessing. And, and what they were witnessing, they were witnessing God governing in justice and righteousness. Isn't that great? I mean, here's God and He's doing His thing that He does over all of His creation, all these things. And, and these guys are seeing these things happen and they're seeing that, that you know, God's doing it right. He's just in what He does and He's righteous in what He does and, and He's always that way and He's consistent in His justice and His righteousness. And, and and you know what John saw that is that, you know, he had experienced government on earth like you and I do. And there's hardly much to be said about justice and righteousness about the government that, that, that man has. But in heaven, God's government is just and it's righteous. And one day that same government is going to be over all this earth as well. When Jesus establishes his throne on earth. And so John saw, hey, this great king. As a matter of fact, he saw the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so I'm sure, hey... If he isn't excited by the end, he's certainly getting more excited, isn't he? Right? You see, that's the way worship ought to be as we, as we get into worship. And the more we get into it, the more exciting it ought to be. That's why we have a call to worship. Uh, well, what else did he see? Verse 5, look, he saw lightning and thunder and voices and all these things that, that he saw in verse 5. And, and, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. All these things. What are these things? These are fearful things, aren't they? These are the very kind of things that, that the nation of Israel saw on Mount Sinai when Moses was receiving the law. And, and, and John saw God to be feared, not to be afraid of, be to be reverenced and respected. And all of our worship, listen, we have to be careful to reverence God. And to understand that we serve a God that should cause us to be in awe of Him and wonder. And that's what John saw. Every time we come to worship, we ought to be in awe of Him. And and then if you look a little further in verse 5, he says, I saw seven lamps of fire. Now those seven lamps of fire are are, are representative of, of the Holy Spirit because he goes on and says, which are the seven spirits of God? Seven being perfect, Spirit of God being the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so there again is a testimony of our need for the Holy Spirit in our worship of God. And so John was seeing all these things, and he's thinking about these things. And in verse 6 of the first part of it, he says, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. What in the world is that? Well, listen, John saw this sea of glass. It's, you know, I don't know if I'm thinking I'm looking at the sea of glass. I'm thinking it's transparent, isn't it? I mean, we're able to see right through it. And so what John was seeing was, was God's judgment and the transparency of that judgment. You see, a sea of glass is, is a, as a, you know, we, we look at the sea and we see it in constant motion. Waves crashing after wave after wave after wave. But, but John sees this sea of glass. And, and the idea is that it's fixed. God's judgment is transparent and it's fixed. It never changes. That, that's a wonderful thing is that what God says, that it remains forever. That it's fixed. God's word is fixed. God's testimony is fixed. It never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when John saw who was being worshipped, he saw someone that was never changing. That that was always the same, that was fixed and transparent. God doesn't hide his desires. God doesn't cover up his his requirements, but he makes them known. And so when John saw the one being worshiped, he saw him as someone who was transparent and who was never changing. You know, I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the place in my life where I really don't like things to change. And it's more easy for me to accept a God now who never changes than maybe I might have when I was younger. But I take comfort in the fact that no matter what we come with, no matter how we come to Him, that He's always the same. He's always the same. And that's who John saw as he worshipped. You see, when we think about the grace of God, His grace is always the same. It's always abundant. It's always given without measure. God's grace is always extended to us without exception and without condition because He is the God of grace. When John saw Him, he saw in that throne room The source of ultimate grace. When we worship God, we understand Him to be the God of grace. What does that mean to you today? I hope it means to you today that you've trusted that grace and you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life as your Savior. That there was a time in your life when you realized that you were a sinner and that that sin separated you from God. And that God made a way, that He made a door for you to come to Him and be saved. That's the grace of God. And the grace of God, the Scripture says, is for all. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, Scripture says, shall be saved. That's ultimate grace. That God will save us in spite of ourselves. That He'll save us in spite of what we've done. You know, I've had people in the past ask me, Brother Mike, you don't know what I've done. Well, listen, I don't have to. God still forgives you. But some say, well, you don't know how many times I've done it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many times. God's grace is sufficient for whatever we need. And that's the God that John worshiped when he was invited into the throne room. Bow with me, if you would, and let's pray.